This is all the Chamberlain's fault. It's because of you. Our secrets roam the countryside in the mind of a renegade, waiting to destroy us. I have turned all Gelfling against Rhea. They believe his mind is infected. Even his own father hunts him. It's a good thing we are not all so weak as to be scared of single Gelfling, yes? Monsters. Madness and magic. Welcome to the Monsters, Madness, and Magic podcast. I'm Justin, and today I'm joined by a very special guest, the president of television at the Jim Henson Company, 10-time Emmy-nominated television producer and executive producer on the Dark Crystal Age of Resistance, Miss Hallie Stanford. Hallie, how are you doing? I'm very good. How are you doing? Thank you for having me. Thank you for joining us, and I'm doing great. Uh, just to get started here, uh, what were some of the sci-fi and fantasy works that inspired you when you were a kid? Oh, well, um, number one, and this is no joke, it, Dark Crystal. Yeah, um, I, was, I was figured you were going <laughs> to say that. I was hoping you'd say that, actually. <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. I mean, it's one of the reasons I ended up where I am. Um, Dark Crystal and uh, Labyrinth. Uh, I would say Time Bandits was a huge influence mm. when I was young. I mean, you know, a lot of the like hardcore fantasy started coming out when I was a little bit like, you know, in the 80s. And I was I was still a kid. I, I grew up, you know, as a tween and teen. So, you know, I had everything from Willow to Legend to E.T. I was a huge Spielberg child. I'm a child of Spielberg, mm -hmm. a child of Henson, and of course, a child of Lucas. So I'd say Star Wars as a young girl starting at age seven, number one, number one for me. It, it, it shaped uh, the types of storytelling I wanted to tell and um, sort of how I wanted people to feel when um, I created and produced um, fantasy and sci-fi, uh, you know, uh, projects. Right. Now, did you see The Dark Crystal in theaters originally when it released? Yes, I did. I did. It's funny, though. I think everybody has, like, all these, like, visceral memories of watching Dark Crystal in the theaters. And you'll hear a lot of people say, oh, and I was so scared of the Skeksis. Mm -hmm. And you know what? I didn't have that memory. I thought they were awesome. <laughs> you always thought they were just really cool. I did too. I was not scared of them. I sort of actually thought they were a little funny. Mm -hmm. um, I remember sitting in the theaters watching Dark Crystal. And the image that's very clear to me was of um, Jen and Kira on the Land Striders that I just thought that was unbelievably cool. Like, I, I, it was so otherworldly and amazing and fantastical. I loved it. So that's the image that really sticks with me when I was sitting in the theater, just being transported um, to a completely different world. Well said. So how did you get you, your start with the Jim Henson Company? Was that your first sort of professional job in the business? No, it was not. Although I was like Kermit the Frog. I was like, I'm going to Hollywood. I'm going <laughs> to make people sing and dance and be happy. Um, no, but I always wanted to, you know, I, again, you know, I've, I've said Spielberg, Lucas, Henson, if I had ended up at any of the companies that they'd run, that would, you know, was a dream come true. Um, I ended up, my first, my first job uh, in the industry was I actually was a script reader. And I read, um, think of it like you're doing a book report with an opinion um, <laughs> for studios on scripts and books. And I worked for Donner Schuler Donner, who, of course, you know, like movies like that, like shaped me as well. Lost Boys, Superman, you know, all these amazing wow. movies. And I kind of became their reader, go-to reader for kids and family. 
um, which makes sense now that you know me. Um, <laughs> so um, I do remember doing an extensive coverage on the book, the original book, The Beastmaster. P.S. Great book. Um, so that was my uh, my first job uh, in the industry. But I ended up uh, getting a wonderful uh, opportunity uh, in animation on a show called Eek the Cat. And um, I was the script and recording coordinator. And the creator of the show's name is Savage Steve Holland. And at the time, Savage was also directing a pilot for the Jim Henson Company called City Kids. And so he um, knew how much I loved Jim Henson and the company. and offered to take me to a meeting over there and that was the first opportunity I got to meet Alex Rockwell and Kirk Thatcher who both ended up hiring me to be their assistant over there a year later uh, mm -hmm. it wasn't right away but I that's that was my first introduction in this meeting and I just kept in touch I was they knew what a fan I was how much I I would have given anything to work there and there wasn't the right opportunity and then it presented itself that Alex uh, got the opportunity to hire a creative assistant and um, and so that was my job. That was my first job. I started there in uh, 93 as her um, creative assistant, which meant I did everything from more coverage of books <laughs> and uh, scripts to reading writing samples, to tracking all kinds of um, creative artists in the industry, to taking. I took a lot of notes. I love to tell people that my first week of work, I um, took notes in the very first um, brainstorming for Farscape which uh, then was called Space Chase. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and I remember the, at the start of the meeting, uh, Alex saying to, it was a very small group of people, maybe four people saying, let's do a show where the alien is the human. And that's just how it started. So, you know, I took lots of notes. So anyway, that's how I began at Henson as uh, the creative assistant to the, and it wasn't just the TV department. It was uh, called Creative Affairs and uh, the job of creative affairs was to oversee everything from features to television to home videos. Remember home videos? Mm -hmm. um, oh, man. To corporate meeting videos, uh, Muppet meeting videos, which actually was a real tradition of Jim Henson to do, was to make these videos to help uh, corporations uh, learn corporate skills, I suppose. So um, <laughs> uh, everything, everything was encompassed in this department. So um, and I was a part of it. So it was exciting. I got to try a lot of different um, mediums um, and a lot of different age groups. We did everything from preschool to primetime um, to alternative. So uh, I was sort of raised in that tradition of the kind of everything tradition. Well, you heard it here, folks. If you take good notes, you can make your way from assistant to CEO. Yes. And I still, <laughs> and by the way, I still take a lot of notes. So every skill, it's like that book, What Everything I Learned in Kindergarten, right? Everything I learned as a creative assistant, I used to this to this day, for sure. So I heard you mention in another interview that you, there's a certain special quality to the puppets that deliver a method of storytelling that really connects with children on a profound level. Like the, puppet, the puppets themselves are almost as important as the story. Uh, what do you attribute oh, yeah. that connection to? Well, I mean, there's a lot of different articles on puppet therapy, which if people are interested, uh, puppets in play with children, should definitely delve into it. So I'm not going to be able to speak the actual scientific jargon, but certainly one of the things with, with younger children that happens with puppets is they project themselves onto the puppet. They see themselves within it and it makes it feel safe and feels like a, a relatable character. Um, but my personal opinion <laughs> of why puppets connect so strongly with children is I think that children recognize that they are in the same space 
as them, mm -hmm. that they're living and breathing. I always say they're living and breathing in the same air. Um, and so it just feels more intimate and real to them. Um, and uh, I also think that there's, so I think that's what can draw them in and make them feel safe and special and warm. Mm -hmm. um, I don't think any of us would have had the same feeling watching an animated Kermit the Frog sing Rainbow Connection on a log right. as we did when we zoomed into a real setting, natural setting, where we see Kermit in our own space um, uh, singing that song that touches our heart. I also, my other little theory too, is I think that we subconsciously delight in the fact that we, the audience, actually participate in the magic of puppetry. Like we know, we know Kermit's a, a, a green felt uh, mm -hmm. puppet, but we decide in that moment, no, he's Kermit the Frog. <laughs> and I'm, I'm going to believe that. And so we're like part of the magic too. We're mm -hmm. part of the puppeteering of it. And I think that participation in it makes it really special too. So like those are idea. my... Those are my theories. Um, and then, of course, you get to like something like the Dark Crystal or, or even, let's go even further, to Labyrinth uh, or Farscape, where we're really trying to make it look real, right? Like E.T. Mm -hmm. is supposed to feel real, you know, or, you know, I mean, I'm sure even, you know, we can think of other examples nowadays, you know, in Stranger Things, you know, if you look at the creatures, you know, like we, those are supposed to look real. Exactly. But something like, something like a puppet? Uh, uh, on Sesame Street or, uh, you know, or the Muppets? Well, we know they're not real um but we're we're all together collectively making them real and the puppeteers of course are the geniuses behind really bringing them to life kind of like a natural transmitter for an imagination you, know, you just have to participate yeah i love that transmitter of imagination mm -hmm. i'm gonna use that yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a fuzzy transmitter yes I, correct me if i'm wrong here but when the series was being planned initially the discussion was to make the prequel an animation uh, is that right that is right. Um, you know, when I had the idea to do a prequel uh, series uh, for children, and this was a long time ago, this was back in like 2004, um, you know, the, at that time, the broadcasters, <laughs> we didn't have Netflix or like HBO doing Game of Thrones, right? Like there were no broadcasters that were thinking of like high premium fantasy series right mm -hmm. right and but what we did see we saw it in the feature area so yes the feature division did have a sequel uh in development um but i think i got inspired by actually i i think i got inspired by clone wars i was like oh okay like we could take a franchise that's a big you know fantasy or sci-fi franchise and translate it into animation and extend the storytelling and 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 how cool would that be so Right. Uh, that's that's where it began. Um, but then years later, um, we were talking to Netflix about it as an animated series. Um, and right when they were starting up, and that is when they came back to us and said, listen, in terms of this first round of shows that we're going to do, P.S., one of those shows was Stranger Things. Uh, it's a soft pass for Dark Crystal right now. A soft pass means we're not passing completely just like for this one round. Right. And, and that's when they came back to us and said that Cindy Holland wanted us to think of the series not as animated, but as live action. And um, I, I couldn't believe it. I was like, wait, what? What are you talking about? <laughs> what are you talking about? And uh, can you afford that? And they were like, yeah, we can afford that. We want you to think about it on a television budget, you know, go away. And it just was so extraordinary. That was such an extraordinary moment. Um, so that's, that's how it made the leap to, to live action was, was also because Cindy Holland, you know, when she was a little girl, remembered sitting and watching the dark crystal with her dad 
and loving it so much. So she wanted to relive that experience as well. That was also one of my questions. Uh, just when you got the green light to use the puppets and then you're like, oh, this is how Jim Henson is supposed to be done. That had to feel great to get the finally get the green light. Oh, it, it was incredible. Uh, when, when we got the green light, when I got the call, I, I was in front of a group of people in a, a meeting. I don't know if they really realized that I was getting the call on my cell phone and I, I pretended to faint in the room. I did. That is the true story. <laughs> <laughs> and then I got up and started jumping up and down. <laughs> That's great. I wanted to ask you about the great creative conjunction uh, that went into building Thra, and that's yourself, uh, writers, Lisa Henson, and you're hammering out the details of the world. So in your experience outside of Henson, is that a common practice? Because it sounds really cool. Um, uh, outside of Henson, uh, it, it, it had not been a common practice that I had seen, but I do have to confess that I I feel like lots of companies now uh, are doing that, you know, having sort of like bigger creative meetings and pulling in other um, other sort of creators and uh, uh, idea people into their franchises. So I don't want to say it's 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 not something that other networks do, but I have been at the company for 25 plus years. And when I began there, this was a tradition um, passed down from Jim Henson. This is something that he did establish. So mm -hmm. when I came to the company, this was something that was a part of the DNA. Um, I was Alex Rockwell's creative assistant, but Alex Rockwell was Jim Henson's creative assistant. So everything that I learned, she learned from him. Um, so this this idea of like, they called them charrettes. Um, mm -hmm. We called the the creative, you know, the great creative conjunction. We, li we like to give them names now. And we just did <laughs> one for, for the new Fraggle Rock series too. We called it the Fraggle Gaggle. Um, <laughs> So now we always name them. But um, I had not seen that type of brainstorming um, uh, for years and years and years. And even when I uh, left the company briefly for a few years, when I, I worked for everyone from the Cartoon Network to Classic Media to Cartoon Network, I did not see that type of creative brainstorming. Mm -hmm. um, but like I said, I'm sure now um, many, many places do it. Um, but within the great creative conjunction, just so you know, it, it we also invited the network at the time, which was the hub. Um, we were in development with them in the animated series. We also invited Brian Froud, um, who was such an incredibly important person to be a part of it. And we also invited um, real fans uh, of the of the series too. So, you know, we like to balance out those types of creative meetings where you have like experts, right? right. Fans, artists, big idea people. And then of course, the people that are working on it day to day, like the writers. Um, we also invited Boom Comics to come because they had been doing, and they, you know, they still are, all the beautiful um, Dark Crystal, um, you know, create, you know, creation stories and all of that. So they were a part of it. So it was all these really great voices, and um, and within that, our what we wanted to do was start um, world building. What was Thra like um, before mm -hmm. this movie? And uh, I've told the story before, but I'll tell it again. Like even in that meeting. You know, of course, within Age of Resistance, the writer's room, I mean, all of these things kept evolving, but I will tell you, there was a lot of world building done ahead of time, uh, uh, and in that great creative conjunction, that's where we um, came up with the, the clans, and we came up with the matriarchy of Thra, mm -hmm. uh, which I thought was a huge breakthrough idea for, um, for, the, um, for the, the world of uh, the Dark Crystal, so all kinds of really cool stuff came out of it. So when you establish the world building points amongst yourselves, how much wiggle room do you guys leave for potential change in the future or something on the fly? 
Um, there was a lot of wiggle room. Um, and, uh, you know, there were certain things established in terms of like, like, I'll give you an example, like, like magic within the dream, the dream space. So like you, you've seen in the series, like there's dream stitching, right? Mm-hmm. Or there's, or you see when they like do the dream etching together, they uh, collectively, uh, the Gelfling within the tavern have this moment where they etch, you know, the Oriole on that table. All of those things were um, were uh, came were, came out of uh, the writers' room. Also came out of uh, Joe Lee's um, YA novels, which are fantastic, by the way. And um, and so there was all this space to play with because we had pre-established. Well, there is a dream space, right? There is dream fasting. So clearly, there is Gelfling magic collectively together. What does that look like when you know when it's shaped in different ways? So. You know, there's kind of always a base of something, but then really room to play with it. Um, mm-hmm. But we always had these kind of like dark crystal um, uh, litmus tests. And uh, I would say Brian Froud and Wendy Froud were the true litmus tests. You, you knew that if you ran something by them and it didn't ring true to them, that you're like, mm, maybe we should push this aside. <laughs> like <Right>. we, <laughs> may, maybe we've gone too far. <laughs> uh, so we did have some litmus tests, which were good to have. I just had to, you seem to really enjoy uh, the world building aspect yourselves. Have you ever, have you ever considered uh, writing a novel or pursuing fiction yourself? Oh, you're so sweet. Of course. A hundred percent. It'll be my next, it'll be my next chapter, right? My next chapter of writing, writing a novel. I wrote, I wrote some um, children's chapter books for little girls called Enchanted Sisters. Mm-hmm. I like to like I like to liken them to um, and I co-wrote them with a, another incredible author. Her name's Elise Allen. We like to liken them to like if J.R.R. Tolkien was writing fantasy for a nine-year-old girl. Anyway. Okay. So it's all so you can check those out. So yes, the answer is yes I have and I still do have those aspirations. Um, I think you should so go for you it. Go. <laughs> well I will. Thank you. I, I intend to. <laughs> So the voice talent on Age of Resistance is second to none. You can just name them off. Simon Pegg, uh, Lena Headley, Jason Isaacs, Bill Hader, on and on. Uh, it's Helen Bohem Carter. I mean, yeah, can you believe uh, it? Like, it's unbelievable. The, the Henson Company itself, they have a great track record of screen production and voice talent. Tim Curry, Michael Caine, John yeah. Hurt, and Hans Zimmer, all that. You know, I don't have to tell you. So, but what is it like seeing all this uh, star power behind the story of a series that you helped spearhead? Um, it was absolutely incredible. Um, Age of Resistance was like nothing I had ever seen before. Just the, the amount. And I also, of course, we attribute it to our incredible, you know, casting directors on it, Reg and Lily and just their tireless pursuit for the talent. But I'll tell you something, too. You know, there's a great love of, of as you know this, this is why we're talking, of Jim Henson. Mm-hmm. He, he, he has touched people's hearts and spirits from the beginning, <laughs> time and space, right? So everyone that you would talk to that came on board, that you, you know, Mark Hamill, they would say, you know, I love Jim Henson, or I love the Muppets, or I love Dark Crystal. Like, it was the nostalgia of how they felt. Um, that kind of drew them into wanting to be a part of the project. And there were many people that wanted to be a part of it that just couldn't because of schedule. So it, it, it was a really beautiful thing, and I really do attribute it to this great reverence and love for Jim Henson. But for me personally, it was thrilling. I mean, like meeting Mark Hamill, like um, uh, doing The Scientist, which was fantastic, <laughs> was, 
was um, now I've told you like Star Wars was my everything. So for yeah. me to meet Mark Hamill was everything. Although when I met him, I felt a little bit like that moment where Ray meets Luke on the island, you know, when she's like handing him the, right, the <laughs> lightsaber and he's like staring at her like, who are you? Like there was that moment, but then it, it softened. We talked about our love of the little rascals. So it was good. <laughs> <laughs> so you've said at the center of every Henson pro- uh, property that you're going to find a theme of hope. Uh, and that's certainly apparent in the Dark Crystal series. Uh, yeah. So that seems like a really- philosophy that would permeate through the production down to every last hand on deck. Is that usually the case in your experience, everyone kind of working towards the greater good? Oh, well, absolutely, uh, towards the greater good. Um, and I, uh, I would say that, you know, in working to brand our projects uh, uh, and distinguish them from other companies and other stories that are out there, I, I'm sure it doesn't surprise anyone when I say this, but it's very, very important for our shows have messaging inside of them, you know, mm-hmm. that actually has something to say in the world and transform the world. Um, you know, there's this, the famous story of Jim Henson when he created Fraggle Rock in his charrette for Fra- his Fraggle Gaggle. He came and said, <laughs> let's let's create a world that um, brings about uh, let's create a show that brings about world peace, um, you know, lofty goal. Um, but he, you know, that was the intention behind it. So there's always this intention behind it, but I'd say the overarching is, um, I feel, I feel like what I've seen that is needed and that connects with Henson is hope is I call it hope punk, which is a, is a movement. It's making hope cool again, mm-hmm. making, a making it, a you know, making corny cool. And, <laughs> um, and the, you know, this was pre pandemic that we, we talked a lot about this. And man, you know, being in, being in this quarantine and I, I, you know, more than ever, these are the types of shows we need. And it's not surprising to me that shows like Mandalorian and Schitt's Creek mm-hmm. actually rise to the top or Ted Lasso, right? Like these shows that are so filled with heart and so filled with hope um, are the ones that we all are actually binging and loving. And I think you'll see a movement, which I feel like we're, we're out in front on um of um this this type of programming is just just we just we we crave it i think right now um so hopefully hopefully a lot more hope punk uh (laughs) programming coming uh in 2021 and 2022 that's something we could all use yep agreed i was going to ask if you have a favorite episode or moment in of dark crystal Hmm, favorite moment oh i love it all so much (laughs) um i uh well i i'm such a huge fan of agra Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, I mean, I, I probably, after this podcast interview is done, I'll be like, wait, no, Justin, I have other things to tell you, but I do, <laughs> uh, I do really, really, really love the moment where Agra is like, she's, tr- she's trying to, um, uh, uh, sort of, uh, hear the song of Thra. I think it is the funniest sequence where she's like meditating and she's trying to do all these different things. Um, so that's my favorite sort of sequence, but I also love it when Agra's dancing in, yeah. in the dream space that to actually like, I was there on set when it was done. That was an incredible sequence. It was really fun to put together. We had this amazing choreographer that worked with um, the body suit performer. So I think that's kind of my favorite, you know, I, I'd is, say Agra, the Agra moments are my favorite. That is a good moment. I've been avoiding this question because, you know, unfortunately the show won't be returning to Netflix or are there any talks or chances for any other network suitors or a potential season two Disney plus maybe? Oh, well, you know, we're, we're, we're talking all about hope 
all my hopes and dreams are that someday, yes, that this, you know, that the story will continue. Um, uh, you know, right now, I think that the company is regrouping and figuring out what to do with the franchise. Um, and uh, I would say, you know, fingers crossed that we'll we'll see more of Thraw someday. Listen, I I, I told you the first the first year that we started talking about this was in 2004. So mm -hmm. if it took, you know, you know, whatever, like 16 years to get it up, we're going to keep going. So don't worry, be more. Just can't mm -hmm. promise, can't promise. That, we all uh, have our fingers crossed. <laughs> yes. Well, us too. And, and I do, I do promise that, the, that there will be an exploration of the world. Um, you know, you know, it, whether it's, I mean, it will be someday in media, but I mean, just in, you know, we continue to do the tradition in books and graphic novels. And I know that's not enough for everyone, but it will continue. We will keep evolving and building on the world of Thraw. So anyway, more to come, more to come. Something is better than nothing. Exactly. I know you guys are also working on a, or you're working on a live action adaption of the Witchland series. Yes. Um, yes. I'm, that show. Oh, go ahead. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm just, I just want to ask, I'm sure you're aware of the game, Game of Thrones backlash that's happened. Um, have you had any thoughts of that sort of thing creep into your head, developing a popular book series? Well, a lot of the things that we have, you know, developed to Henson, just so you know, have been based on books. So we met Emmett Otter. Um, so we do have this tradition of bringing books to life. Um, I'll tell you about The Witchlands. It's such a fantastic series by Susan Denard. And the reason we were introduced to it is because when we were um, working on the Dark Crystal um, Age of Resistance uh, scripts, um, I decided to challenge myself and read the top 10 YA high fantasy novels um, that were out there just so that we could have a modern voice, that we weren't all thinking about our favorite YA books when we were kids. I was like, let's right. look at what, what teens and, and young adults are reading right now. And so I, re I read a lot of books and wow, The Witchland blew me away because it has this incredible feminist lens to it that I had never seen. I had never seen two best girlfriends kicking ass in a high fantasy series. Uh, and I just thought, oh, we got to do And then the magic in it, I, the details of how Susan Denard realizes magic, uh, I had never seen either. And I am a big nerd. I read <laughs> a lot of fantasy and sci-fi. So for me to say that, trust me pretty unique so when I introduced Lisa Henson to the books we just we just knew we had to make it we you know we are we are two um, female fantasy uh, feminists so I uh, felt like this was uh, the next story that we wanted to tell and again that that book is about also um, hope and healing and uh, young people having to right the wrongs of uh, the generations before them which I think we all understand right now relatable so it's very relatable <laughs> so I don't think there'll be any backlash to series. I think everybody will love it. And I hope we get to me. I really do hope somebody buys it. That's it's good to hear that it's in good hands. You're also working on an adaption of the webcomic Lore Olympus for Netflix. Oh yeah. Uh, well, it's not for Netflix. We are, oh, out, okay. um, we are developing it with webtoons um, gotcha. who have been fantastic partners. If, if people have not seen Lore Olympus or do not know webtoons, Go immediately to the app right now and download it. You will become addicted. It has such an incredible fan base. It is a retelling of uh, a modern retelling, a beautiful graphic retelling of uh, the, the, the love story between Hades and Persephone. So much fun. And yeah, we're out right now trying to uh, set it up as a series. And again, fingers crossed we will. It's so much 
fun. I'm very excited about that one. And I'm very excited about the adult animation space. I've dreamed and dreamed and dreamed that one day the networks would start doing animation um, for adults that wasn't just comedy aimed at men. That right. was actually like, you know, um, playing with the genre, whether it's, you know, uh, romance, which is Laura Olympus, or, you know, adventure, um, which are all kinds of things coming out right now. Um, and now it's happening. I can't believe it. I'm so excited. So I think we're going to all see this kind of renaissance in adult animation over the next uh, few years. And I'm excited to be a part of it. And I know we're coming up on our time here. So I'm just going to wrap it up by asking, what are your favorite films and what is your favorite movie snack? My favorite movie snack is to take milk duds and mix them up with popcorn. That's it. Is that disgusting? That's no, that sounds delicious, actually. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, is that, Justin, tell me, is that disgusting? No, I've um, heard some interesting answers from some other guests. You're fine. I have so many favorite movies. It's such an unfair question. Um, I've named some of them already to you here on this call. Um, of course, all the Star Wars movies, and I mentioned Time Bandits, which I loved as a kid. I would say that other movies that just pop into my brain right now, I'm, again, I'm going to regret this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to call you and say, no, you need to add this. But <laughs> <laughs> I love Master and Commander. I love Gladiator. Um, oh, Gladiator. Trying to think of all my, I love Shawshank Redemption. I'm trying to think of other things besides just fantasy and uh, sci-fi because you can, name, you can name every single fantasy and sci-fi and you know I'd love it. I love Black Panther. I love any Batman movie. I'm a massive Batman uh, fan. I'll watch it all. What's your favorite um, Batman? What is my favorite? Dark Knight. Okay, cool. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> what if I said Batman versus Superman? No, I'm kidding. No, hey. It's not. It's my least favorite. That's your opinion. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, no, but uh, so so many different ones, and and then I could even just keep getting I keep getting geekier. You'd know all of me if I kept saying Pride and Prejudice, Little Women. So <laughs> we'll just we'll just leave it. We'll just leave it at Star Wars, uh, New Hope, and we'll be good with that one. Gotcha. Well, Hallie, that's all I have for you today, and I know we're. We're closing in our time and it's been a lovely chat and I'd love to have you on again. If you're down for it, I'm always down. I for am. It. This <laughs> is really fun, Justin. Thanks for having me. No problem. Madness and magic. <laughs>